Hello, everybody. Uh, Pot on the Tine is sponsored by Bet365. They sponsor our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sport. Did you know that you can create personalised bets? With Bet365, so if you fancy Newcastle to beat Norwich this weekend and Florian Lejeune to score again, Bet365's Bet Builder lets you calculate the odds for any game. It's right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from the Google Play and the Apple App Store, over 18s only, and of course, please gamble responsibly. Everybody and welcome to Pod on the Tyne. My name's Taylor Payne and I am joined as ever by Mr. Chris Woff and Mr. George Colgan. Hello chaps, how are we? Hello, very good, thank you. Bonjour, yes, not too oh, bad. Bonjour, thanks. may we, Rodney, nice. It's nice to be back in the studio chaps. We haven't done this for a couple of weeks because we've uh, been off-site and on the road from games and things like that. In so a car park. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's nice to do a podcast with you that doesn't involve sweaty windows. <laughs> Delightful. Um, there's lots of things to talk about, isn't there? I think we'll jump straight in and talk about the one pressing issue that everyone has kind of uh, got on their lips at the minute, and that is the potential takeover of Newcastle United. I'm going to throw directly straight to you, George, for this. Thank what you. Th- no problem at all, mate. Well, I mean, I, I think it's important to say very much at the outset that nothing has been agreed, and at this point, nothing may happen. Um so that is that you know that's a that's that's the most important caveat that um it takes one man to to agree for something at this club and that's not happened so far and it's it's not happened with this latest bid my understanding is that everything that's come out over the weekend um is is right and that this has progressed to uh to a stage where the finishing line is in sight but the you know the key point again is to say that it hasn't got to the stage where it's been signed or agreed, even though a lot of things have been agreed during those during these conversations mm-hmm. that have been happening. So it is important that people don't get too excited at the minute. Although I know I know that's that's very difficult. This has been something that has been uh, on the cards for months. I know it's been sort of written that this has been four months in the making, but my understanding is very much that this goes back a lot further than this, that um, Amanda Staverley obviously made three bids through her PCP Capital Partners group two years ago. Nothing came of that, but she she has remained on the scene since then. Her interest in the club has never gone away and this latest kind of incarnation has been around certainly since before Benitez left last summer but it has really ramped up in the last mm. in the last sort of few months and, and few weeks. Obviously the game changer this time is the involvement of, of Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund and you know none, none of this stuff has been denied so uh, whether it's from the club or from Ashley's side or from Saudi Arabia, so there is there is a kind of a, a widespread assumption that that this is kind of genuine. And again, my understanding is that it's got to the stage where it's pretty much make your mind up time um, that things like you know price have, has been agreed and and sort of most of the big details have been agreed. There are still a few stumbling blocks, but in the context of a deal like this, I think if it was any other kind of any other kind of deal, if it was in the financial world, you would be pretty much saying it's done. 
However, this isn't done yet because, yeah. but I, you know, again, everything I'm told is that if it doesn't happen this time, it's because of one one person only, and we know who that is. That is Michael James Wallace Wallace Slazenger Ashley, isn't it? <laughs> so we're, yeah, we're kind of we're at that point, aren't we? Where I mean, I'm from a fan's point of view, and I'm going to be completely honest about this. Um, on Saturday morning, when all this broke, I looked at my phone and went, "Oh no, no, here we go again." You know, I'm not going to even dignify this with any kind of thought or feeling or emotion. I'm just going to ignore it, leave it alone, forget about it, and go back to my life. But it is a genuine thing. It is a genuine bid here. We'll just say, like, for the benefit of all those people who might be like me, cynically sort of saying this is just another ploy at the end of the, uh, the transfer window slash season ticket renewal time, there is actually something in this. Yes, absolutely. It's not some, it's not some sort of amazingly devious trick from the mind of... Um, uh, what's his face? I've forgotten his name. Keith Bishop. Keith the Bishop. No, I mean they are genuine. They are genuine. Well, <laughs> oh, Chris is here as well. They are <laughs> Hi, Chris. They are genuine people who've been trying to buy the club for a long time. Um, there is always cynicism because it always tends to happen at this time of the year. And in actual fact, there is that you know there is actually a good reason for that, and that is the fact that negotiations always pick up intensity around the transfer window because that's whether it's the summer or whether it's the winter and that's mm. because it's the one time that potential new owners can do something that is aside from change managers yeah. so they can actually get into the club and uh, and and buy players if that's what they want to do so it has ramped up in recent weeks it's now going to have gone on too long to have to to come to a conclusion you know before the window closes having said that there's also less importance attached to that now because of where the team are on the table yeah. and the fact that they have 30 points already and are looking you know pretty good in terms of in terms of staying in the premier league i think it has lost a bit of intensity why it's come out now there is no clear answer to and you know certainly people on all sides are sort of denying any responsibility for that i don't particularly think it's helpful um, because it sort of just puts pressure on things right at the at the crucial moment, yeah. and you know I know people have said that if there's 340 million or whatever on the table, why would he why would he turn it down and things like that? I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is if it all comes out in public, it shines a spotlight on it, and the one thing Ashley hates is sort of being is like being bounced into things, mm. and it's just. I think it's just unfortunate timing. I mean, hopefully it doesn't it um it doesn't get in the way of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean I think that with the proviso that this may still not happen as George has said, because until it actually gets signed and until Mike Ashley fully agrees to it and everything happens, <clears throat> this is still in a delicate stage. But th- it feels different very much this time to certainly last summer when the uh Benzayed group uh, were interested and there was all the claims that came out from from the Middle East including one as we've said via a, a DJ in the end three statements which the club didn't deny but at the same time everyone certainly in the northeast among northeast journalists we were all very skeptical and from that point we yeah. all thought for want of a better term that that one was largely to, to a degree bollocks whereas <laughs> this this one is it certainly feels different and it is different and it is it is to a to a, an advanced stage as, as it possibly could be but it's it until it actually is is actually agreed, and until a takeover transition actually occurs, then as George has said, Mike Ashley is unpredictable, and and these things 
can break down. And I think that you've seen that in, in a lot of the reports that we've had so far, there's been that sort of caveat that it could be days or weeks away, but at the same time, this could break down. And that's because you have that unknown factor. And so it's sort of in that, for, because it's leaked out now, it's sort of in that frustrating limbo stage where yeah. nobody can categorically say whether this is or is not going to happen. But it certainly is more realistic than previous ones have been. Who benefits from this getting leaked out, though? This is the this is the thing, isn't it? Nobody, nobody benefits from this coming out in the open. No, and we've had these conversations so many times in the past when stuff's come out, and you know the 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 rule of thumb has with takeovers. And Ashley has said this himself. The rule of thumb with takeovers is that you don't hear about it until it's happened. Yeah, until it's done. And that is something that I've kind of stuck with for a long time. Having said that, takeovers which involve lots of people different countries, different people in different countries, the club itself. There are a lot of people involved in that. And, you know, journalists have to try and find things out. I mean, that's part of the job. And so it's not necessarily, it isn't necessarily a, a, a conspiracy or or whatever, or, albeit we all tend to look at things very cynically because we've had our hands burned so many times. So hopefully this hasn't done too much damage. But, you know, I think... It feels to me like we are right at the crux. It wouldn't surprise me if by the time this podcast comes out, it's, this has either fallen through or gone ahead. I mean, I think we're yeah. at that. I think we're at that point. Equally, I've been told that for quite a long time now. So yeah. it wouldn't. Again, it wouldn't surprise me if it if it drags on a bit. I think the fact that it's come out does put pressure on it. So I think it is. I think it is a fairly key moment. Even if what George has said is true, please keep listening for the rest of the podcast. Even if it, <laughs> if it has came out, yeah. If this is now all completely out of date and none of this makes any difference. Well, I mean, we can we can talk about some of the background stuff that's been going on yeah. beforehand. And I did, I interviewed Amanda Staverley just after um, her bid had been described as a waste of time by a, by a source close to, to Mike Ashley. And I went to her home and office in London and talked to her and... You know, the, the 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 stuff that was interesting was that it was very much seen as a chance to invest, not just in the club but in the city. There were kind of a there were big plans to really sort of try and treat the club as the club of the north, if I, if I could put it like that. That certainly now, where we see where Sunderland are, where Middlesbrough are, Newcastle's the only Premier League team from the Scottish borders down to sort of Burnley. There's a big sort of catchment yeah. area, and there's a chance to to sort of rebuild the club, to employ people again, to make it sort of the hub of the city and the region as the way you'd want it to be. And certainly this is what that's what she talked about. And there was a plan back then for an extra two hundred million quid of investment, some some over two windows in the first two windows of the transfer market, and then also on infrastructure, training ground and academy. And I'm pretty sure that this time there won't be talk about budgets and figures, because I don't think that particularly helps them yeah. or anybody. But I'm pretty sure it would be the same kind of idea. And, um, you know, the idea would be big investment. And it's very difficult not to get excited about that because it is what the club has been crying out for for a long time. Mm. So, and again, it's not, this isn't kind of back of the fag paper stuff. This is this is stuff that's been, um, that has been in the planning stage for months and months and months. So that's reassuring. Um 
one thing that we at the Athletic mentioned the other day is that Chris Mort has been kind of leading her negotiations. Yeah, this was as, something I was going to, I was going yeah, to mention, actually. As, she, as he was last time, Chris Mort, for those uh, who, who don't remember, was Ashley's chairman of Newcastle in the early in the early part of his tenure and that is seen as a sign of sort of intent so just just to clarify on Chris Mort's position in this is he he isn't part of the bid is he working from a sort of legal standpoint yeah as, yeah as an advisor and a broker rather than someone who's involved in the the buying of the club himself that's right yeah so last time I was shown copies of the of the three bids that were made and it was his name that was on you know that right, was, okay. was on the bottom of those emails on the bottom of those bids he last time he was the one doing the negotiations with Newcastle's representatives and Ashley's okay. representatives. So another name that or another names, some more names that have been mentioned in this is the Rubin brothers as well. They've their name was mentioned the last time with the Staveley bid before they it was kind of forgotten about. They they backed off from it completely. And their name has come into come into play again. Is that something which is which is sort of correct or is there anything we can talk about? Well again that's not been it's not been denied and yeah, I mean, it's pretty definitive, and you know, again, my understanding is that you know they're heavily involved. They've they've been involved in investing in the city before. Yeah, and I mean, again, they have ties to the northeast already. Yeah, they? and, they're, and they're involved uh, in the ownership of Newcastle Racecourse and yeah, and I think again, that's another part of that's the stuff that I was talking about in terms of investing in the region. You know, they're experienced at doing that. There's been suggestions or questions being asked about if Saudi Arabia involved and with the wealth they have why wouldn't they just do this on their own same same mm. for the rubens they're incredibly wealthy yeah. but the point is that this has been something that has been amanda staveley's project from day one and what she is good at is bringing others involved yeah. uh, together and then leading it and i i wouldn't be surprised that you know she's the sort of figurehead of it and you know and then we see what happens down the down the line but i'm not i don't view that as I don't view that as strange at all. She's, she's, she's led the project. Last time would have been involved, absolutely right there, top of the top of the firm kind of thing. And I don't mm. see any reason why that wouldn't be the same again this time. Interesting. Just on the the Saudi uh, link, I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk already. Amnesty International have come out and spoken about if yeah. if, if the Saudis are to to take control, that they wouldn't <clears throat> say who should or should not own Newcastle United Football Club, but that I think it would be sport washing is is, is the term that yeah. they've used. Now I know there was a poll on the Chronicle, I think, over the weekend where it said eighty percent of fans would support. Them coming in, and I mean, at the moment you're talking about hypotheticals. Very difficult to get into this at the moment Certainly because is. because there is no actual takeover. I mean, I suppose that's always been my concern as the way that some of the protests against Mike Ashley and the current run of Newcastle United have gone over the last couple of years. I understand the frustration there, and understand that the fans have felt that there's no way of getting rid of them without without sort of targeting. Uh, work practices and things like that but to, to question Mike Ashley's work practices which there are a lot of gen- genuine questions have been asked there's been a lot of documentaries over the years but whoever was likely to come in afterwards there was likely to be similar sort of questions or, or alternative questions and with there is certainly going to be that once uh, if if this was to happen with the, with the Saudi regime and so that that is I suppose where ethics and sport cross but then it's yeah. it's about how a club is run and about what you actually see for the vision of your football club and at what point those ethical lines you feel have been crossed or not and so that that's going to be a big question which would come along in the future if this did happen yeah i mean it's it's one of those really really sort of tough moral ethical 
questions. Um, you know, there's no doubt about it that some of the stuff that's come out of Saudi Arabia in recent times has been has been awful. Equally, we have Russian involvement in the Premier League. We have Chinese involvement in the Premier League. Um, you know, there's other Middle Eastern influence. Uh, Man's, Man City, obviously, and Sheffield United. As Sheffield well, United. Time, yeah. There are plenty of other clubs where this is, you know, this is, uh, you know, this has been the case as well. And at what point do you draw the line for something like this? At what point do you say something is so bad that we can't we can't condone it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a terrible. That's a terrible question to to have to ask. But I'm afraid that football has long since washed its hands of of things like that. Yeah. Saudi Arabia is a country that Britain does business with. One sort of interesting thing, I think, is that, um, I mean, I have very strong political opinions. I'm not necessarily delighted with what's happened in this country over recent, mm-hmm. over recent yeah. times. One thing I do think, though, is that this sort of thing would actually fit in with the government's agenda, which is investing into the northeast, mm. and so does that help all that kind of stuff? I mean, let's not beat about the bush here. These aren't people who are who are running a sports company and and paying people poverty wages and you know having a having a, uh, a swipe at people's employment rights and all that. This is next level kind of stuff here. We're talking about human rights violations and and things which have come out in the press, which are pretty grisly. This is another level from Mike Ashley, isn't it? And I mean, if from a fan's point of view, if if people were feeling uncomfortable about this, I could completely understand that. Yeah, absolutely. We, but you, 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 and I've kind of just just mentioned that, and I completely get it. At the other at the other side of it, you can see what investment has done in parts of Manchester. You can see what investment has done in other parts of the country, and so do we say that's fine because you know because we'll benefit from it, or do you? At what point? It's a do tricky you, question, yeah, isn't it? It's a, it's a hard. It's everybody, a hard everybody will have their own. Everybody will have their own views on that. I mean, I think the initial reaction, certainly that I've seen from Newcastle fans and you know stuff from having conversations myself, is that the response has been has been positive. Um, one of the other things that came out uh, in the last couple of days was, uh, as it always will do, is is a mention of Rafa Benitez and and the potential that he could return as manager, coach, or whatever under a new regime. And y- you mentioned earlier on that this process has been ongoing since before Rafa left. Uh, is that anything else that you could shed some light on, George? Well, so there's there have been kind of reports that. Rafa's name is mentioned on documents connected to this to this group, and I'm certainly not surprised about that because yes, it does stretch back to when he was still manager. And on those three bids that uh, Amanda Staveley made uh, two years ago, Benitez's name was inextricably linked to it. So on all of those individual bids, it was about him staying on as manager and them renegotiating his contract. So that doesn't surprise me. And he was here, as I said, in the summer, obviously, when when this kind of interest re-emerged. There was a moment a couple of weeks ago when it looked like things at Dalian Yifang, Benitez's club in the Chinese Super League, might implode and that he might be coming home. That's not the that is not the case, certainly not as things stand. Yeah. So there there is absolutely Nothing in the suggestion that he is coming back in the immediate future. He's a he's got two years left on his contract at Dalian. He is a columnist for the Athletic. I'll just point that out. And it is so lucrative that there is no way that new owners would come in and and buy him out of that contract. I also and it's just not something that's on the cards. That's my understanding. Yeah. I also think it is disrespectful to 
Steve Bruce oh, and the, and the job that he's done done so far, which is certainly in terms of where the team are in the table and the number of points they've got is way above expectations at the start of the season. And I think there would be a feeling that you know things things should carry on as they are. The good thing about it, as mentioned with sort of the transfer market and the timing of why this is happening now, is that there is breathing space in terms of that. It's not as if the team are at the bottom of the table and something needs to happen right now in order to save the club. So that takes the pressure off a little bit. So I don't think there's anything... You know, if someone like Benitez... If if they'd come in last summer and Benitez had gone, it's a clean slate. If Benitez was available, that would give them something to think about. But he isn't. And, um, you know, I don't think there are kind of many other obvious options and I just don't think it's a discussion that's being had mm. I mean with the greatest respect to Steve Bruce if if we were bought out by this kind of level of investment you would expect that he's not the kind of name they'd want run, running things at the top of the club is he I mean they would look to replace him you would imagine or I mean, p- potentially. I mean, yeah, yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't strike you as so. He's not a marquee name. I mean, last summer was he was even wasn't at, at the stage where Mike Ashley w- was. I mean, he remains owner, but was owner then and was looking for a new manager. Steve yeah. Bruce was was a surprise name for most. So yes, in that sense, but he has done a good job under difficult circumstances this year. There seems no immediate need to change. But I suppose you, you would have the same situation that Mike Ashley encountered in 2007 when he came in and Sam Aldice had just been appointed by the previous regime. And the likelihood is that most groups will want their own manager or head coach at some stage. But as George said, I think it's disrespectful at this stage to talk about that. For a start, this is still a hypothetical to a degree. Absolutely. This is not happening. So for now, and hopefully Steve Bruce continues to do the good job he's doing for now, and then if and when that becomes a question, more likely in the summer if this was to happen, then, then that's something that I'm sure they would think about. Okay, well, let's move on a little bit from that, from all of that takeover chat. Just to let you know, this athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service which takes the hard work out of dressing well. And Chris, you would do well to have a look at that website. Harsh but fair. That's very harsh considering he's wearing an athletic hoodie at the moment. Yeah, I didn't want you to mention that. That's me finished, isn't it? (laughs) Apart from that. What a company man. What what we can't see is he's also wearing athletic branded underpants and socks as well. Yeah. Generally speaking, though, he he does need a little little bit of help in that department. No offence, Chris. And I've noticed you're wearing an NBA uh, Blazers branded t-shirt today. I am. It's a very fetching t-shirt. To get started with Stitch Fix, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletics. What you do is you fill in a style quiz, tell us all about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs. And once then what happens is a personal stylist sends you five items of clothing, each hand picked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up and coming designers. What you get to do is you get everything through and then you try it on at home and style it with your other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and you send back the rest. And for your stylist time, basically you pay 10 quid, which is deducted from the cost of anything you buy. So remember, you try before you buy, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. I'm going to be honest, I'm going to get involved in this and have a good look, because I've let myself go in recent weeks. Let's be honest. I've I've got to a point now where I'm a father, I don't care where I buy my clothes. I buy my clothes the same place that I buy my sprouts. 
<laughs> and this is a cry for help. It, it certainly really is. is. So help. Stitch Fix, come and sort me out. Fix me up. So basically, Stitch Fix allows you to save time because they do the shopping for you and you'll enjoy top styling tips from all of our experts. So get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot <laughs> co.uk forward slash athletic. Oxford United at home in the FA Cup. If there's one word to describe that, it is fun. <laughs> yes. Oh, never have I had such fun on a Saturday. My God, what a terrible game of football. Yeah, it was um, It was awful, wasn't it, Chris? It was, yeah. I mean, at various points going into the weekend, George and I were... It, George was initially going, then I was going to the game, then both of us ended up being there, and we got to see another festival of football that that was. All the, all the euphoria I felt at being at Goodison. Um, I mean, admittedly, most of that was in the last last hundred seconds, but that that's when you normally feel your euphoria, isn't it? The last yeah, hundred seconds, absolutely. That's such a terrible thing to say. Um, but it was it was really miserable. It was absolutely miserable, wasn't it? And it wasn't um, that good. No, and we're kind of left scratching our heads about this team again. Anyway, we are still we are, we're in the draw. We're in the draw. It is a momentous thing, and the draw's happened. I mean, obviously. practically the name's are, on the cup. We are in the fifth round, so you know we can say that with a potential game against we're West not, Brom. They're not in the fifth round. They're in the fifth round draw. Well, we're in the, we're involved in the fifth round, Chris. I mean, you're splitting hairs. We're involved, very much involved. If you go online and look at FA Cup fifth round, it is says there? Newcastle. It in does there. have Newcastle. Don't start there. pissing on people's chips, no. Chris. It's not. God, right. You're so negative about Honestly. everything. We're in the draw. Well, I'm, I'm the one who's got to go to Oxford in the middle of next week on an industrial street. Oxford's a lovely place. Yeah, I've it's been, the industrial estate outside. With I've this. been there this season. <laughs> I was there. I, I went there to watch Sunderland get knocked out of the League Cup to Oxford, um, and it was uh, it was really miserable. I mean, it was properly League One. I mean, it'll be slightly different this time, but um. you've made me feel a lot better about that trip. Thank you, George. You should okay. just just sack the game off and go punting on the river instead. It's the middle of nowhere, though. That's where the ground is. So it's it's. I was actually quite looking forward to it as well, but it's nowhere near Oxford. So it's mm. there is. There's There'll a be hot... some Inspector Morse too, where you can go on or something before the game. Surely. How know? many times do I tell you it's not in Oxford? <laughs> We've just repeated that three times. Why aren't you listening to what we're saying? Well, do they not have transport in Oxford either? I don't think they, they do. They don't get on a train. No, they just have punts, and there's no and there's no waterways <laughs> near the stadium. Okay. Anyway, and back onto the game. Um, Nabil Bentaleb made his uh, debut uh, for the club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are we going to say about that? I think the kindest thing to say is he he looked like a player who hadn't played in four months as the, the last appearance he made, which was. Also, wasn't for the Schalke first team. The last first team appearance he made for Schalke was last April, and I thought there were a few nice touches. And you can see what he brings, and he was interesting. He played that sort of deep lying role, which um, he was looking to pass the ball forwards, though, which I liked in the first half at least. He was, and and I think that you can see his technical abilities. Obviously, there, I spoke to to people who watch him a lot at, at Spurs, and they were very positive when he first came through. And at Schalke, he started off quite well, and obviously various disciplinary issues arose. Um, my understanding is he was suspended on four occasions, and by the end was even told he wasn't allowed to go into the dressing room on match day, which is, it's, it's not great in that sense, but he has come in and said a lot of positive things. He says he's, he's matured. Uh, Steve Bruce used a quote on Friday where he was asked about him being a maverick and he said, well, bring on the maverick, which I thought was an interesting sort of sort of, of way of, of taking it. But I, George and I during the game were actually chatting about how Bruce has been big on the fact that he seemed that he wanted a sort of Modi Army type midfielder, a box-to-box powerful midfielder. And ben Do you know Leb who's a Modi Army type of midfielder? Modi Army? <laughs> yeah. And he used to play for us. Do you remember that? Well, Bruce would have kept him. Bruce <laughs> yeah. would have kept him. 
But no, it was it was peculiar. I mean, whether whether this was a way of integrating him into the team, and sort of by sort of saying, look, you've not played, you've not played for a long time, sit in that role, pass the ball, but gentle introduction. Yeah, yeah, but get get a feel for the way the team plays yeah. against quote unquote inferior opposition, all that sort of stuff. But he played, he played in the role that Shelby would effectively play. He was very very deep. He got the ball and did stuff with it, albeit without kind of, you know, without the kind of Hollywood stuff. But surely those two couldn't play together, playing that kind of role. And I'm not sure that that was exactly what the team was crying out for, unless you know, coming into the Premier League team, he's suddenly released and plays in a different way. But I was I was a bit perplexed about that. He was he was very neat and tidy, um, and you know, we'll see we'll see where he goes with that. But um, mm. yeah, slightly strange. He's playing alongside Sean Longstaff as well, wasn't he? And I, I, I think he's struggled over the last couple of weeks. I think that's being kind to him, isn't it? He's certainly not. I mean, we, we've discussed Sean Longstaff a bit already, and actually in the last couple of weeks, I think his, his form probably has dipped even further. What I would say about his math, I thought he didn't he, he didn't shy away from anything against Oxford. I think he tried. He, he kept on trying, and almost that was to his detriment to a degree because he, he gave the ball away a lot. He looked yeah. he looked laboured in possession. But what was interesting in terms of the formation was, it, I mean, it was it was a reasonably fluid formation. But Bent Leb was sitting behind. The fluid in question being piss, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But essentially, Bent Leb was sat in front in front of the the back three, and then in front of him was Sean Longstaff to the right, and Almiron slightly further ahead with a bit more of a free roll to the left, and then Sam Maximan essentially playing w- with Joe Linton. Now that to me. Bruce has tried on a few occasions to bring in this three-five-two formation. He start. He did it at the start of the season. He brought it in for a couple of games over the Christmas period. Yeah. Now, to me, maybe that is the logic behind Bentleb as well. Maybe he does want to shift more towards the, that sort of formation. But in order to do that, and we'll get onto him in a second, I'm sure. I think that that's where potentially Valentino Zaro could come in. The formation was put out there in three different formats. I saw at the start of the game. It was three-five-two. It was also three-four-three, uh, three, and it was also three five one one and and a number of other different variations of it i mean i know there is a there is a, a fashion of going deep into tactics and looking at and strategy and all that sort of stuff these days but how much of a difference is there really let's be honest if the team's playing three five two or if they're playing three four three well not not too much i suppose it depends on it depends on how how well you're playing people because some maximum just work. seem to be playing wherever the yeah i mean i think that was to a degree to, he, had, he, he had a free rule to, to a large degree and i think that that was that was part of it i mean i saw a lot of people saying that that what bruce should have actually done on on saturday was play with four at the back and bruce ideally in the long term would like to play with four at the back and so i think that a lot of people's arguments is you play three center backs at home against a league 1 team that that's negative I think we've seen from other teams and from Newcastle that it's not always a negative formation if you're pushing players forward. But on Saturday, for whatever reason, it just didn't. I mean, it just didn't work. I don't think it was just to do with the formation. I just don't think anyone played very well at all. It was it was an awful game. It depends on um, how Oxford are lining up as well. I mean, they yeah. only played one up front, so yeah. I, I don't really see the need to have three centre halves in there. But I suppose it's whatever the players are comfortable with, isn't it? It's it's. I mean, slightly changing the subject, but it was only because I'm really bored of that. Um, but <laughs> it was fa- it was fabulous to have that full stadium again. You know, well, then the club deserve do do deserve credit for doing the sort of cheap tickets and things like that. It was very Newcastle to then have a performance like that at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, it's a phenomenal crowd that for a fourth round FA Cup game. I think it was the highest yeah. at Newcastle since the 60s or something like that. Yeah, for an FA Cup game and. 
Um, but kids for a quid. Kids for a quid, and you know the fact it fell fell flat as badly as it did is a pity. I think the thing about the team is that you find a solution that fits one player or two players or three players or five players, but it then doesn't suit the others. Yeah. And we're still in this. It's n- it's not a bespoke squad for for a certain way of playing, and that's that's not Steve Bruce's fault necessarily just as it wasn't Rafa Benitez's fault, that there were times when they had to sign players for the sake of having players. Not all of those players are brilliant. And so you've got this situation where they do have, you know, I do, I do think there's a certain logic to playing the same way you play in the Premier League against whoever you're playing, because, you know, why change it for one match and then change back again? If you have a way that you're more comfortable of playing, just stick with it. And stick with it, and stick with it, and repeat and repeat, and and stuff like that. But it does, it does feel. I mean, you know, if you're talking about Sean Longstaff, is he is he best suited to playing in a midfield with with that many others around him? Is he, mm. you know, you you solve one problem and then you create one somewhere else? And Newcastle are still that squad. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Lazaro's integrated into the team. You know, whether that changes things a bit more about how they set up and how they play but at the moment it's still that jigsaw where you you know there's always a piece missing it felt like we we struggle if we've got the ball if we're actually oh, we hate the football. if we actually having to do something with the football we we tend to run out of ideas pretty quickly don't we it's if it has to happen quickly and, well, and, and, and it's snappy then the ball gets played forward and we're on a break then we look dangerous occasionally. But and if, if if we're talking about somebody like Longstaff, who looked like that sort of Michael Carrick figure when he came into the team last season, tall and and good on the ball. Rangy. Rangy and could strike the ball well. At the moment, he just looks so ponderous on the ball. And he's giving yeah. the ball away. He's, he, I mean, he gave the ball away constantly against Oxford and that puts the team under pressure. Mm-hmm. Things like that are pretty kind of quite difficult to sort of explain. But I think people got too excited too quickly with Sean Longstaff. But... Equally, we know there's a decent player in there, but um, 22 years old. We have to, and he's we have to give old. the lad the time yeah. to develop his game. He's Absolutely. still learning every single game that he plays. He's learning. Yeah, it's harsh to, to criticise him too much, but again, it, it, are we in a position where we can afford to wait for him to develop in midfield? We need people in there who are going to do a job, don't we? Well, at the moment, I don't think he'd be in the first choice midfield. So no. for, for that, that's just the, that's just the reality of if, if if everyone's fit. And I mean, it's interesting what George is saying about the way they're playing because. Lazaro fits into that sort of counter-attack and don't have the ball. Bentaleb's more of an interesting one because you could argue he does because he can release the ball and release those players going forward. But also, to change the style over time, Bruce wants more technical players. He wants more players who can actually do want the ball and will actually be able to create things with the ball. Now, Bentaleb, in theory, can do that. So it's interesting because it's almost like a window whereby both of them are loans to buy for a start, so so they're not necessarily uh, guaranteed to be long-term. And Lazaro, yeah. my understanding is that, that there is still a feeling from his camp and from Inder that he may well go back to Inder if he, if he rediscovers his form. Yeah. So it's it, it's that interesting sort of transition to Castle, and that's difficultly the January window. You can't really just throw out everything they've done so far this season because it's not it's not the summer window where you can really reshape. So it's almost like we they've gone for someone who will complement the, what they do at the moment, but also someone who may be can start to adapt that style a little bit in Bentaleb. Chris, who cares about Lazaro next one? We'll be signing Neymar then. <laughs> Mbappe and Neymar. Where does Valentino Lazaro fit into all this then? Where does he where does he fit into that first eleven if we're if we're going to be playing with that system? 
where does he come in? Well, I'm writing a piece at the moment, which should go up with this podcast tomorrow, uh, essentially talking about where he will fit in and how will that affect other players. Now, No spoilers, Chris. <laughs> so, so well, the, the, the thing about Lazaro and speaking to everyone with him is that he, he is very, very versatile. So he, he came yeah. through as a right winger, essentially, plays a lot of his football there for Austria, as he did uh, when he was at Red Bull Leipzig. But when he was at Hertha Berlin, they changed him to be basically an attacking right wing back, right back, however you call it. Um, and so Inter signed him as such, but he can also play as a number 10, he can play on the left, and my understanding is that there was at least a few conversations that if Newcastle can't get a left wing back in the last couple of days of the window, he could provide cover there. That's not going to be his primary position, but he could provide cover there. So to me, logically, if 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 Bruce does decide to go to the system he played against Oxford, I think right wing back is where we'll probably like to see Lazaro in that situation, because then you can also still have Sam Maximan and Almiron in the team, and I don't think they're likely to miss out. All of this brings the question of what happens to the record signing Joe Linton if and when Carroll's fit, because he's to me seems to be the one whose position is most under threat. Because yeah. Lazaro's come, he expects to play football because he, he moved for game time ahead of the Euros. Mm-hmm. So there's going to have to they're going to have to try and find a place for him. Obviously, he has to prove himself and get that. But really, that begs the question now: what happens with Joe Linton in the medium to long term? What? Well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, well, in the, I, I think it probably is more the short term. Short term, yeah. So, just to correct you there, with one of the biggest <laughs> fundamentals in that sentence, um, because in Come the on. medium to long term, surely they have to make Jalinton work as things stand at the moment, because yeah. they've invested all this money um, in in him. So, and at the moment, if you were trying to sell him, you'd be looking at a huge, huge loss. So they are they've they've committed to him. They've committed this money to him and so long term there has to be a way of finding it work so what I would hope is that what they've done this window is part of that process but I'm also not confident of that mm. you would hope that there's a way of making him better and suddenly we'll all see oh yeah okay this is the reason why we've signed this fella because we're yeah. not seeing it at the moment and in the games when he's playing badly which unfortunately is most of them it's mm. there's nothing there and you can't see I mean Everton was particularly bad, wasn't it? It was. Remember. He had about five yeah. minutes at the start. And he had five minutes at the start, yeah, and then, and then sort of just disappeared from the game. And you know, I thought he was one of the better players. I have to be honest. I thought he was one of the better players against Oxford. Now that you could argue that that's because everyone was so bad that he, that he looked good. But I actually thought, and I know both his goals were rightly disallowed for offside. But, but he got I himself he, into the positions, though, didn't he? Yeah, and I thought, is, I thought he looked want. the most interested of the forward players in terms of trying to do something. He but, won a lot in the ball against Chelsea as well. A lot of the aerial balls against Chelsea as well, and he obviously hit the crossbar and things like that. But getting into the right areas against Oxford is one thing, but you know, doing it in the doing it in the Premier League is another, and it feels to me like that's a long way away from happening. I mean, I hope it does um, for for his sake as well as the team's. But uh, again, hopefully, what they've done this month is part of unpicking that particular problem because they've committed by Newcastle's terms an enormous amount of money on him. And so they have to find a way of making it work. They can't write him off. There's still a few days left of the transfer window. Is it likely that Newcastle are still looking at a striker? Uh, obviously, a left wing back is probably going to be the, the, the priority at the minute with Jetro Willems, haven't they? Well, priority leave us, but is a striker still on the cards? Yeah, priorities have changed during the window because left wing back wasn't before the window started, yeah, wasn't course, something they were yeah. looking at. But obviously, Willems, that loan deal is going to be ended. So that frees up a space in the squad. Dummett as well. We're not yet sure whether he is out for the remainder of the season, but he's certainly out for a significant period. So left wing back at the moment is something they're looking at. Danny Rose is someone Newcastle like, but there's a 
Watford and Bournemouth are also interested and it's Mm. uncertain at this stage I think whether Spurs will agree to a loan as Newcastle would prefer or exactly what the situation is there so they are looking for alternatives there striker I think is now looking more unlikely obviously Mm. Jared Bourne's not now an out striker but he's someone again perceived Bruce really likes but Hull's valuation so far Newcastle haven't shown any yeah any willingness to get anywhere near that and other strikers I mean they've been linked to, to a couple of strikers on the continent uh, and I'm sure that in an ideal world they would like to bring someone in but I think timing and difficulty of the window and the fact that now they're going to have to move players on because even if Obviously, Willems is going to free up a space which is which has been taken by Bendeleb and then Lazaro comes into the squad. We're not yet sure whether Dummett is going to be removed from the squad or not. Mm. So even for Lazaro, someone may have to move on. But to bring in someone further, the likes of Key, possibly even Muto, although he's injured yeah. at the moment, someone is going to have to be either moved on or left out of the squad, um, which would mean Newcastle are have a, have an even bloated player pool they've got at the minute with the likes of Jack Cole back and Henri Savio they still yeah. want to move on and, Cole they, and they wouldn't want to keep keep extra wages you no. know on the on the on the on the bill either having brought two players in so I think there would be a I think there would be a need to do it for that reason as well do you see any more coming in or going out or do you think that's it do you think that's it now I think they'll push hard for for a left wing back whether it happens I'm not entirely sure I think Lazaro coming in as I say, because he, in theory, could cover there if necessary. And if Mankiewicz gets back, he could cover on that side as well. Yeah. The, the need is not as pressing, but I think Bruce would certainly like it. So I could see potentially one more, uh, not guaranteed by any stretch, but I could see one more. Outgoings, I think they're going to have to, I mean, they, they, they will try and move on the likes of Savi, Key. Um, Callback's injured, so he's unlikely, he's highly unlikely to go anywhere. I think his Newcastle career is over, but he's just going to see out the rest of his contract with this knee injury. So yeah, I think I think there will be certainly trying to move players on, but they've they've struggled to get rid of Savvy for three and a half years essentially. So yeah, he's not going anywhere, is he? Let's be honest, he's he's pretty well settled. I mean, you know, he's just picking up a wage and, and training and playing with the reserves and stuff like that. But. What can you do? This is the this is a difficult situation, isn't it, with footballers who are not playing football? People like Jack Callback and um, people like that they they've kind of they're just on the on the side now, waiting to find a deal. Or Jack, Jack Callback's wage must be a ridiculous, considering he's not actually playing for the football club. Yeah, and I know a lot of people get very annoyed about it and understand that. And there's the argument if you're a footballer, why, why wouldn't you want to play football? But but I see, I also see the alternative argument, which is when you signed me, you gave me however long a contract that it was. And Callback, I think, was six years. I think Savio was five and a half or something like that. And so they, at the time, the club committed that to you. And Newcastle have been stung by this in the past when they've given youngsters really long contracts. And and they haven't turned out the way they should. Rolando Aarons is still there. That hasn't worked out. So, Mm. um, yeah, Newcastle have made more mistakes. Harris Vukic, is he still on the books? (laughs) Harris Vukic? I mean, you can be... To, you know, those things look really, really clever if you've signed someone young who who develops and looks really good and then you can yeah. sell him for a shitload of money. But it doesn't look quite so clever when those players don't perform. I mean, Jalinton is a case in point of that, albeit with a lot more money going outwards. But players, it's not quite the same with Jack Colbert because he comes from here. But those other players, they have to commit to a new country or to a, to a new city. And on the one hand, we castigate them for kind of sitting on their backsides taking money and, and not doing anything but it's not their fault that clubs make those yeah. decisions and make those investments so you know. and very much like in in with regards to the takeover there has to be a willing buyer or a willing a willing seller doesn't absolutely. it absolutely yeah yeah uh, Norwich at home on uh, Saturday as well I think it's a big one I mean we say this every week um, I mean 
you know, I think that point at Everton felt like such a sort of big moment. I was very giddy afterwards and it's certainly, oh, you know, the club, they'll be safe, they'll be fine. I think they're within touching distance of that, I really do. And I think victory over Norwich just takes away that completely. Equally, you can see it being quite a tense match because obviously Norwich have their own difficulties to to worry about and they're a, they're a, an attacking team. And so they play good football, they're used to having the ball. So we're probably going to have to expect... Norwich to dominate in terms of possession at, yeah. at St James's and that can kind of lead to tension and all that kind of stuff I think it's a big moment I think if Newcastle come out of that game with three points then I think we can say that they're safe I think the paradox of Saturday is as George says it'll be alarming in one sense to see if Norwich do dominate the ball but actually Newcastle really need them to dominate the ball because we said against Oxford <laughs> absolutely clueless what we yeah, want yeah. they don't want the ball and so um, well, I mean we saw when Brighton came to St James's early in the season and they had I think it was 70-odd percent possession. I mean, that was, at the yeah. time, really was, to watch, was was quite startling. But in the end, Brighton didn't, actually didn't do anything with it, and Newcastle managed to get out with a point. But it, it doesn't feel the immediacy of, of recent years in terms of that Newcastle have to win against Norwich. I think it's a, a do-not-lose game, and if the, but they, they would like to win it, and if they do win it, they will be within touch and distance. So it's a, it's a different test for Newcastle because we know they haven't p- performed overly well at St James's Park against those teams in and around them, or, the, or in Norwich's case, significantly lower down the table than them. Boys, we're going to wrap things up there. Thanks very much for your time and for all the information about the takeover and everything like that. It's been very interesting from my point of view to sit and listen to you guys and, and learn a little bit more about what's going on. Obviously, please keep your eyes on uh, theathletic.com for more information and across the different podcasts and the different channels and stuff like that. And for uh, ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code NEWCASTLEPOD. Thank you very much, chaps, for uh, for your time. Chris, lovely to see you. George, nice to see you again. And with a bit of luck, we'll see you all next week. Thanks a lot for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.